Morning. Uh, before we proceed into the more formal part of the induction service, it would be good for us to retrace the steps that have led us as a church to the point where we are at now. Gail has been a member of this church family for several years now and has served for many years as a deacon. Her passion for pastoral care and her skills and abilities were soon put to use within the church community. The senior pastors have certainly valued her gifts and her pastoral visits to the sick and needy. As our church grew, so did our pastoral care team, with Gail leading the way. She was given a staff position for three days a week, but this was in no way a reflection of the, amount, the actual hours she worked. Jonathan, our senior pastor, approached the leadership and raised the issue of Gail's position with us, namely that she should be recognised as a pastor, because that was exactly what she was doing. The response from the leadership was very positive, and we wanted to ensure this process of discerning God's call for Gail to become pastor be done through the correct channels. At last year's August church meeting, our senior pastor shared that we were submitting Gail's name to the pastoral search committee. After many months and careful consideration of Gail's gifts and her and Warren's sense of call, the pastoral search committee made a unanimous recommendation that Gail's name be put forward as an associate pastor. The pastoral search team members identified a clear sense of God's leading in her life, her committed growth over many years, her, sorry, her continued growth over many years, her leadership skills, her deep dependence on God, and the church's wide acknowledgement of her gifts and calling. The recommendation was received by the diagonate, who also accepted the recommendation unanimously. This was presented to the church meeting in May this year, where Gail was unanimously accepted as associate pastor, associate pastor responsible for pastoral care. Thank you, John. Thanks, Dave. Well, come this way a little bit, you guys. Um, Gail and, and Warren, it's just so great to actually be standing here now and to having this m moment where we are about to officially induct you. And um, we're so excited, Garf, just for the way that God has continued to lead you. And uh, we've seen constantly your passion for God, your love for, for Christ, and your desire just to care and love for people. Um, we've seen that so evident in your life. And the gifts of leadership that you've shown have just been um, so, so wonderful for us as a church. Um, very excited about the way God has led uh, us to this point and led you to feeling, yes, uh, this is what God's calling me to. Um, so I'm going to ask you some questions now. And I'm going to ask some questions to you first, Gail. And I'm going to ask some questions to Warren about his role. And then church, I'm going to ask some questions to you. And um, you, I think you'll just know how to respond by the way the question's phrased. But when it gets to your time, wholeheartedly respond um, I do, if, if uh, you agree. Gail, let me ask you these questions uh, before God and before our, our church and family and friends. Gail, we're about to officially publicly appoint you as uh, Associate Pastor of Pastoral Care. So if I ask you, do you believe in God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and do you confess Jesus Christ as your Lord 
and Saviour? I do. Great. And Gail, do you believe in your heart that you've been called by God to the pastoral care of the people of this church? I do. Great. And Gail, I want to also ask you, as you serve amongst uh, this family, uh, will you be committed to giving to those that you serve and to receiving from them as well? And will you obey the call to lead them whilst continuing to follow uh, Christ's call, the Lord Jesus, who's the head of the church? And will you live a life of prayer? Will you read and study God's word? And will you model to us what it is to follow Christ? I will. Great. Warren, will you do all that you can to support and encourage Gail as she seeks to minister here? Will you seek to listen and to understand and to stand by her through all that lies ahead? I will. Great. And church, members, friends and family, Together we're making an important act of commitment this morning. Do you publicly acknowledge and receive Gail Hill as Associate Pastor for Pastoral Care of this church? Great. And I want to ask you one more question and, and we do the answer if you're wanting to do that. Do you promise to honour and support her, working together humbly and joyfully as God's people? We do. Great. Well, we hear your words. And uh, Gail and Warren, I'd just like to invite, we'll move down the front, and pastoral uh, team, the pastoral team and staff, and uh, uh, would those people come up to the front now, pastoral team? staff and deacons as well, if you could gather around. And Gail and Warren, and we'd also love to ask Courtney and also Jordan as well, Gail and Warren's children, who'll be uh, so much a part of this as well, if you could come. So come and stand in the middle, you guys, and gather around those that are going to pray. Put hands on, on them. Well, what a great, fabulous team we have. Um, and now let's pray for uh, Garland for, for, uh, in this time. Let's pray. Oh, God, our Father, we want to say thank you so much for guiding us by the power of your Holy Spirit so that Gail and Warren and Jordan and Courtney are standing here today. Oh God, we ask that you would bless this family in their lives. Uh, God, we pray that you would bless Gail as she ministers here amongst us. Oh God, as she pastorally cares for people in this church and empowers others who do that too. May she be humble as she seeks your will. And God, may she be bold as she tells others about all you've done for them. God, we pray that she would help those who are bound to be freed 
God, those that who are uh, in darkness to understand your, that you are the light. God, we pray that you would help to lead people into freedom and to wholeness and to healing through Gail's ministry. Lord, we pray that Gail would keep her eyes fixed on you. May your word continually feed her mind. God, would you continually speak to her heart through your word. And may you always be an important part of her daily life and her activities. Oh God, may people look at Gail and see you in her and know what you are like, Lord Jesus. Oh God, we ask for the promises that she's made today. God, we pray these promises will be things that guide her and lead her decisions and actions in the future. And we pray that her ministry here in this church and in the wider community will bring a blessing to many people here and right through this region. God, for Warren, we pray. We ask that he would know your love and your presence in, in the years ahead. God, through the ups and the downs, we pray that you would strengthen him and bless him as he travels in ministry with Gail. And God, for Jordan and for Courtney, we ask that you would um, give them the strength and support that they'll need too as they uh, encourage their mum in her ministry. Oh, God, bless them, we pray too. And now... In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the head of the church, uh, I now declare you, Gail, as Associate Pastor for Pastoral Care of the Wodonga District Baptist Church. God, bless her in your ministry, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Great. Thank you. Good morning. <laughs> ah, we've got a different background. <laughs> Alive in Christ. What a great topic. Bill Hybels talks about a, a thing called your holy discontent. And basically what he means by that is that you'll find as Christians that God will place within you something that you just can no longer stand, that you just feel this fire burning within you and you just have to respond. You just have to do something because you just can no longer take the thing that is causing you just this enormous stress. It might be an injustice that you want to right in the world. It might be that you just... You just have children on your heart and you, you just want to be involved in, in seeing children come to know and love Jesus. It might be that you've got a real heart for the poor and you just want to do everything you can to help the poor and the needy. But your holy discontent will actually mark the, the thing that, is so, that makes you so dissatisfied in your spirit and it won't leave you alone. And I've thought about that and I've thought, for me, there's a number of things I get really upset about and really angry about and in a godly way. And, and some of those things I think, you know, I just, I can't do it all. And, and 
last week I really had this wonderful, overwhelming sense that God had been able to take and articulate for me very specifically what my holy discontent is. And my holy discontent, sorry, is the fact that I cannot abide the fact that Christian people can be still bound by the devil's schemes, by the influences of the world, by past hurtful experiences and not know what it means to live fully and alive in Christ or experience the freedom of Christ. That really is my holy discontent. That's what God has placed in my heart. And a vision for me would be that uh, there be a place, this be a place where people meet Jesus and experience his community and people are restored People are transformed and grow so that they can then go on and impact the world for Christ. That would be my vision. And I have to tell you that I'm aware that within this church this morning, none of you have a problem like I have a problem. None of you here have a problem being bound. None of you here in this church struggle with your thought life. None of you are weighed down at times with anxiety or fear or struggle with negative thoughts or bitterness or unforgiveness. I know none of you do. That none of you have been influenced by worldly philosophies that have subtly corrupted your thinking and that none of you have experienced emotional wounding from past experiences that have manifested in behaviours you sometimes regret or perhaps they've even become habits. I know none of you experienced that like I do. And although this doesn't describe you, I'm sure it describes someone you know. <laughs> That'd be right? Okay. So therefore, I believe in this church this morning, there are actually two groups of people. The first group is the one that acknowledges that they have been saved but don't fully experience to perfection the freedom in Christ. And so they know they need to grow and to continue to change and to be set free continually and to kill off the old sinful nature. So that's one group here in this church. So you might look like that. And the other group are those who are in denial. Because the truth is... We all need to grow in the Lord. And although we are saved, there is still so much of our unredeemed nature that comes and sneaks up and attacks us and keeps us from experiencing being alive in Christ. That would be true. So are you free? Are you experiencing a new life in Christ you know, we live in a society that's committed to ourselves, pursuing happiness, comfort and peace and the influence of the world's values and teachings and expectations, they're not from God. They're from Satan. They're so subtle. You see, the devil is subtle. He's the great deceiver and many of us are caught in unhealthy but unknowing bondage to him. 
If we live in Christ, Colossians 6 to 7 says, So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. The continue to live in him literally means to be in him and continually walking. And the in him means that we have to immerse ourselves in the sphere of Christ in order to be healthy, in order to grow. The walk portrays a steady progress of our life, taken one step, of a, one step at a time. And you know what I've discovered? I've discovered that God has wired us so that if we actually take a step, we actually go forward. We don't go backward. Isn't that funny? Like, really, when you look at it, you take a step, you can't help. You, you, you don't go backwards, you go forward. And, and I think when Paul's talking here that when we receive Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, continue to walk with him, he means every day, a step at a time, intentionally, deliberately, day by day. And we're to do that as we are rooted in him. We have to have our foundation in him. It's no point that we do it on our own. Proverbs 3.5.5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not rely on your own understanding. Acknowledge him in all your ways and he will make straight your paths. You have a path to walk. It's not good enough that you were saved. That's fantastic. That'll still get you into heaven because it's by grace that we are saved. It's not of ourselves. It is the gift of God, lest anyone should forget. But Paul's telling us here, no, I, I expect more than that. You know, you Colossians have had false teachers in your midst and apart from that central truth that it just is by faith that you are saved, apart from that central truth, you've been exposed to philosophies that have caused you to believe that somehow you needed to add to that truth, that you had to act in a certain way or eat certain foods or observe certain festivals. And, and Paul's saying, no, no, your salvation is assured if you've trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ as saviour of your life. But that's not the end of the story. You see, we are to grow. And only through growth, only through killing off our old sin nature, do we become alive and free in Christ. Positionally, we are already that. But we have a response to partner with Jesus in making sure that that old sin nature doesn't continue to leave its um, dirty footprints all over us. So how do we do that? Well, we've got to be rooted in him. The verb is past tense, but it continues to have its influence in the present. So we were rooted in him, but he remains the source of life for our growth and health. So we can't ever move away from him as the source of our spiritual lives. So if we imagine a tree, the tree has to draw up nourishment from something. 
So it has its roots and its roots go down into the soil of Christ. That's where we draw nourishment from. But the tree's roots are only part of the tree. It goes on to say that we are to be built up in him. And built up means to build further, it says, to build on something. And the verb is present tense and describes this ongoing process um, that the steady growth in a believer's spiritual life has to be intentional. You know, my husband is a builder and I've observed that the most important part of the building process for him and the one that he is always so concerned about is the laying of the foundations. In fact, he usually doesn't entrust that to anyone else. He goes out and lays that foundation himself. And I've observed how significant getting that right concrete foundation is for the rest of the building. And Paul's saying, your roots have to go into the right foundation before you can build upon it. But you must build upon it, build up in him. And then he says, be strengthened in the faith. And this aspect of being strengthened relies on being rooted and built up first. The verb of this strengthened means to make firm, established, strengthened. We're not merely to hold to the faith, we are to grow. And we're to grow in the knowledge of the faith as we draw closer to Jesus and know him more and more. So we might experience his power in our lives. You know, we, I think we underestimate the power that is available to us. Paul says in Philippians 3, not that I have already obtained all of this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it completely, but one thing I do, Notice he says, I do. There's a personal responsibility in spiritual maturity and growth. He says, forgetting what is behind, forgetting the things that trap, the things that bind, the things that have wounded, the false teaching in our lives, forgetting all that and straining towards what is ahead. I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward. In Christ Jesus, we all have a responsibility to grow in the Lord and to press on. And, you know, I've been doing things quite round the wrong way as a Christian. I come to church and I, quite wrongly actually, sit in that pew over there and think, right now, Lord, come and fill me. Come and fill me till I'm overflowing. Lord, let the music just minister to me. Lord, let me hear from the word. Let that word build me up, Lord. Lord, I just want a great encounter with you here today. Fill me. And you know, Paul's saying, you've got that round the wrong way. Because basically, we have a personal responsibility to walk with Christ and to grow. And we have to avail ourselves 
of the myriad opportunities we have here in this church to grow. But that will happen primarily through the week between you and yourself and your personal quiet time with the Lord and what you read of his word, but also within your small groups. It's your responsibility to grow. It's not this church's. We provide the opportunities. You need to respond. It's an active verb. You need to walk and grow. And then if we are filled during the week through our own personal response to Christ, we can come to church on a Sunday and guess what? We're going to come overflowing with thanksgiving, not to receive but to actually give on a Sunday. Wouldn't that be fantastic? If every Sunday, instead of us sitting in our pews thinking, what did I get out of today? We actually came with a momentum that had been accumulated during the week because we were intentional about our growth for Jesus and we came overflowing on Sunday with thanksgiving. Wouldn't that be amazing? That would be really exciting. So we need to live in him and we need with every step of our walk with him, we are to draw upon his life as the source, as the force in our life and as the course of our life. That's how we need to live. But you notice Paul has given us a fantastic first few scriptures to tell us that, you know, we have everything at our availability in order to grow. We have Christ. If we're rooted, if we're built upon, if we're strengthened, if we overflow with thanksgiving. But he's saying, but listen, be careful. Be careful because the devil loves to try and attack and stop our growth. You see, Paul goes on to say, see that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than Christ. The Colossians were being taken captive by other philosophies other than Jesus and him in all his sufficiency. Be careful. What does that mean? Well, it means to direct one's attention to something. Watch. Be aware of the dangers lurking at every corner in the world or society due to Satan's many deceptive devices. Be careful. Keep being attentive. You know, it's when we're not attentive that the devil strikes. And what does captive mean? Well, in the Greek, it means to carry off as booty or rob someone. You know, my holy discontent is looking at myself and seeing other Christians that have been robbed of their birthright, of the fact that Christ wants to set them free, to make them alive in Christ. That is my holy discontent. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 20, 23 to 25, Where does this leave the philosophers, the scholars and the world's brilliant debaters? God has made them all look foolish and has shown their wisdom 
to be useless nonsense. So when we preach that Christ was crucified, the Jews are offended and the Gentiles say it is all nonsense. But to those called by God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ is the mighty power of God and the wonderful wisdom of God. This foolish plan of God is far wiser than the wisest of human plans and God's weakest strength is far stronger than the greatest of human strength. You know, I'm reminded of that scripture in 1 John 4 that says, he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. You know, the world is so subtle. The world is just, the world philosophies are so subtle, so deceptive. They infiltrate us until little bit by little bit we find we're moving just a little bit out of centre with Christ. Some of the philosophical snares of the world include things like materialism. Materialism tells us that matter is all that matters, that it presents a deformed view of the world. It warps our view because it teaches us that I am what I own. And don't we see that everywhere in this society, that our value is placed on what we own rather than who we are. And the effect is more affluence, an accumulation, an occupation with things, a consumer mentality. And we neglect our spiritual walk, our precious spiritual walk, which should be our number one priority. But it's so subtle. It can just happen little bit by little bit. Or how about performance as another philosophy? The belief that I must reach certain standards to be okay, that I'm not okay just as I am. And it presents a deformed view of the self in seeking approval through attainment, through what we can have, what we can reach, what we can do. And it really sends a message that our identity is based on I am what I produce or accomplish. And these are just burdens that we take on board, even as Christians. The effect is that we seek significance from our work and achievement instead of from the Lord. And as I say these, my heart is heavy because I can see myself in all of these things as well. Or what about individualism? I must depend on no one but myself. It presents a deformed view of self and produces this me-ism mentality. And I have to say, that's alive and well within the church of God, this me-ism, that I am the source of my own life. And, oh, yeah, Lord, you're there. <laughs> just, just come along and follow me instead of me following you. And the effect is loneliness and a resistance to authority and inability to experience community or even to share in community. And, and another one, the last one, but there's, there's thousands of these false philosophies that pervade our life and pervade and influence us. What about relativism? What's relativism? 
I'm having to, no, I'm not. It matters not what you want to believe as long as you believe something. So therefore, everything is okay. So if I want to believe that Jesus was not really God but he was a great prophet, I can believe that and you don't dare challenge that because that's my belief. Everything is relative but it presents a deformed view of truth because it refuses to recognise revealed truth. It refuses to accept that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father except through me. You can't say that because everyone's truth is truth. It says, I am whatever I believe. And the effect there is a subjective approach to life that whatever feels good must be good. It presents a subjective view to scripture and that scripture is overlaid with my own worldview. And it's experience orientated and the outcome is uncertain faith. And what happens is that all of these influences harass us. And where do they harass us? Between the ears. You know, the old mind. And Satan has a field day. Even though we've accepted Jesus as our Lord, we are still in bondage to the influences that pervade our world and from past experiences. They're hollow philosophies and yet we too are prone to them. False philosophies come in all sorts, sizes, shapes and colours and we are in no short supply of them today. There are so many and my holy discontent is that this should not be happening. And often what happens is that we have all this accumulated baggage and when we come to Christ, all we've really done is put on a beautiful Christian coat and we look fine but nobody knows what we're struggling with. Nobody knows what we're wrestling with. Our baggage is there but we've got the Sunday smile and yet we're weighed down. We actually feel more like this. And Satan loves it. You know, that image there is the picture that Satan loves the most in the whole world because the devil doesn't want us to be free as Christians. Do you know what the most frightening thought for the devil is? That Christians could be fully alive, fully free, and fully walking in Jesus Christ unhindered. That is the greatest threat to the devil. Do you know why the Christian church has lost its impotency in the Western world? Because we are influenced and subtly moulded by external influences and we no longer are rooted in Christ, immovable in him, We are swayed like a sapling. We are no longer built up in him and strengthened by him and overflowing with joy and thankfulness. No, we're in bondage. We're weighed down, many of us. 
And so we have our Bible and we know we should read it and we have the helmet of salvation and the breastplate of righteousness and the sword of the spirit, the shield of faith, the belt of truth, feet that are fitted with the gospel of peace and we say, Lord, I've got the armour of God but I'm still feeling like this. I don't know if that's any one of you. But you know the good news is that Christ is sufficient. Christ alone, the whole deity reigns. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form and you have been given fullness in Christ who is the head over every power and authority. In him you are also circumcised in the putting off of the sin nature, not with a circumcision done by the hands of men, but with the circumcision done by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. What does that really mean? What on earth does that really mean? Well, in Christ, live means a permanent residence. That means if Christ is in you, he lives in you permanently. He doesn't just appear one day and then flit off another. And not only does he live in you, the whole fullness of the Godhead, now, which now resides in Christ, therefore now resides in you. Right? If we were really to lay claim to that and believe that, wouldn't we be changed? Wouldn't we be transformed? And then it says, and you are complete through your union with Christ. That's our position. We are complete. John Calvin said, you are made full does not mean that the perfection of Christ is transfused into us, but that there are in him resources from which we may be filled that nothing be wanting in us. Our union, in our union with Christ, every spiritual need is met. And Jesus is head over all authorities, this scripture tells us. He is the source of life for all that exists and he is sovereign over it, absolutely sovereign. I hope you're getting the message this morning that this is powerful. This is beyond our comprehension, but this is what is available to us, whatever powers there are in the universe, whatever ranks and orders of authority and government, they all owe their being to Christ and are under his lordship. And then it goes on to say, for you were buried with Christ when you were baptised and you were raised to life, new life, because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead being buried and raised with Christ conveys the thought of not only burying an old way of life, killing off that old sin nature, but also sharing in the experience of Christ's own death and resurrection. And this is through faith. Paul makes it clear that we share in Christ's baptism because we trusted the mighty power of God who raised him from the dead. In Romans 6, 4, Paul said, We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead 
through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. I don't know if you feel free or alive in Christ, but we are promised a new life in him, free from all of that baggage. And the concept of baptism, I was thinking about this with Christ and there's a term in uh, music and it's called sympathetic vibration. And it goes that when you play a stringed instrument like a guitar, if it's got six strings, hold up six fingers, and you play an E first, which is the first string, the sixth string will slightly vibrate as well because both are tuned to the E note. Or when the guitar is tuned to A, then the snare drum will vibrate beside it. That's true. That happens. And that's like us with Christ. When we identify with his baptism, our old sin nature, our old carnal nature that has been put off is buried with him. And we are alive and free, fully free in Christ. Oh, how to be fully free in Christ. Well, this scripture tells us it was accomplished there. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. That's what he did for us. He nailed the written code, that piece of paper that was like a legal document that was opposed to us before we came to Christ. Christ took that legal document that said we were to ever be in bondage, that we were to ever be in hell, in separation from God. And he took that legal document and he nailed it to the cross and he said, it is cancelled. And and when you unpack that in the Greek, it says that heaven, in the court of heaven, they have cancelled, they have thrown out the written code that was against you because he took it and he nailed it to the cross. And in doing so, he disarmed all the powers and authorities. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. You see, we need to come to the cross. We need to come to the cross and every day present the things that bind, the things that are ungodly, the things that are not of the Lord, And ask for forgiveness and every day repent and say, Lord, take my baggage. Take the things that are not of you. I surrender them to the cross. That's where we have life. That's where we are alive and experience freedom in Christ. He cancelled the record that change contained the charges against us and he took it and blotted it out completely. That is the life that you have in Christ Jesus. You know, there's a, a lovely story from Les Miserables and it's about a man called Jean Valjean. 
He's an ex-convict and he was on the run from a ruthless guard, Javert. And there's a powerful scene when Jean Valjean is offered a free meal and bed for the night by the town priest. And during the night, Jean Valjean steals all the silverware and upon being discovered, he knocks the priest out cold and heads for the hills. So, so much for gratitude. And then the next day, it, it, this all unfolds in such an unpredicted way. Jean Valjean was apprehended and he was forcibly brought before the priest who is nursing a blackened eye. And upon seeing Jean Valjean in the custody of the guard, the priest shouts, Jean Valjean, I'm very upset with you, my son. Why didn't you take the candlesticks as well? I told you, you were to take them. The guard stands up in surprise. You mean you gave him your silverware? Yes, replies the priest, but he did not take the candlesticks. I'm so upset. At this, he fetches the candlesticks and places them together with all the silverware in Jean Valjean's rucksack. The guards depart without the pleasure of an arrest. And, and I just think of this particular um, image here where Satan departs angry that he can no longer rob or destroy one of God's people. So the guards depart and they were sorry. And then they left the two solitary figures, the priest and Jean Valjean, standing face to face. Why are you doing this? asked Jean Valjean, to which the priest replied, I forgive you. Don't forget, you promised to become a new man. Jean Valjean, my brother, you no longer belong to evil. With this silver I bought you. I ransomed you from fear and hatred and now I give you back to God. It's a powerful story of undeserved generosity. But it's the story of the cross. It's the story of grace and in that exhortation, go and live and be a good man. Live free in Christ. We are to live fully and free in Christ. Do you know the same word for forgiveness when Christ forgave all our sins is the same word for grace? For he gave so much. He gave unmerited favour to us, extravagant favour to us and it was demonstrated there in the cross. So, oh, how we should respond. We should not be standing still. We should not be living still in bondage because at the cross the devil was defeated. The devil was defeated at the cross. He triumphed over them, making a public spectacle of them at the cross. The devil is defeated. The devil's defeated in your life. If only you would acknowledge it and only you would actively take responsibility for your spiritual walk every day, confessing 
that's in nature every day, to live intentionally for Jesus. It says, therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration or a Sabbath day. They are a shadow of the things that were to come. They sound like shadows, don't they? They sound nothing in comparison to the cross. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Don't let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you for the prize. Such a person goes into great detail about what he has seen and his unspiritual mind puffs him up with idle notions. He has lost connection with the head from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as Christ or God causes it to grow. My plea here today is that you will not just be a Christian that's standing still, that you'll want to grow, that you will, you'll, such ha- you'll have such a holy discontent for the state of your spiritual walk at the present that you'll just be uh, flown into, pushed into, You know, you just won't want to resist moving and growing in Christ. We need to grow and we need to take responsibility for that. It's our responsibility, no one else's. You know, I would like to think that when I look at myself July 2006 and I look back at myself at 2000. And five, I would like to think, Gail, the Lord has put you, allowed a lot in your life, has refined your character, has deepened the fruits of the Spirit, has grown those fruits in your life. You've learnt some truths that you didn't know 12 months before, that you had more love, more compassion, that you had more humility more patience, more kindness, more gentleness, more self-control. I would like to think that I could see a discernible difference in the gale 12 months ago to the gale now. And I would love to know that you could too see that for yourself. We're to live intentionally. And lastly, Paul winds up by basically going over exactly what we've been talking about here today. We're to live in Christ in order to do that. Since you died with Christ to the basic principles of this world, why, as though you still belong to it, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These are all destined to perish with use because they are based on human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. People today, the Lord wants you to look and know this. And in order to do that, Sometimes we have to 
assess with a very, very intentional walk what are the things that are holding us up, binding us, keeping us captive so we can be released to grow. Now, for me, some of the things are old philosophies that die hard. I studied at a humanist university. I studied psychology and then when I became a Christian counsellor or studied to become a Christian counsellor, I had to hammer some of this, or most of this actually. I'm still in the process of doing it. But I had to nail it to the cross because basically that philosophy told me that I am all I need and I am all sufficient. And the truth of Christianity flips that upside down and says, without Jesus, I am nothing. I'm to die to self in order to have life. So I had to nail that one to the cross. And I had to nail, I have to nail this one continuously to the cross because pride can still bind my life and mark my life. And I just pray, oh Lord, I don't want it in my life. And this one, approval. Oh, so bound in that for years and years. And it still wants to get away from me. <laughs> so I'm going to make sure that one is nailed. <laughs> and this one, distraction. Distraction from living fully in Christ. Distraction from the world and all it has to offer. Oh, Lord, forgive me for this one, that I would continue to live in you and not be destructive, I'm dis destructive and distracted. I nail that to the cross. And for me, we all have different things. We all have different bondages. For me, fear. I still at times live in fear and I don't want to feel fear. I don't want to experience fear because Christ overcame that. By his death on the cross, he overcame that. And, and my holy discontent is that Christians are still living in bondage like that. That is my holy discontent and I will not stand for that in my own life. And I pray that you will not stand for that in your life, that you will be released by the power of the cross, by the victory of the cross into this, into living fully and alive in Christ Jesus. I'm going to pray and I'm just going to give you an opportunity and no one has to feel pressured, no one has to even come down the front, but I'm going to give you an opportunity to come in these next few minutes and if you feel so, if God's spoken to you here today, oh, that we would be obedient to him, that we would have our things that bind publicly nailed to that cross and triumphed over on the cross. You can come down. You can write something on a piece of paper. You can use this beautiful 
pink hammer, which Mason got especially for me. It's a pink one. And you can nail those things that bind, those things that cause you to stumble to the cross today and live alive, fully free in our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me pray for you.